0: Hello world, my name is Tim Roswick, I'm a Rick Davidson, and we are on the Devology livecast. We're going to be talking about the top five mistakes indie game devs make. I'm glad you all are here to join us live. If you're not here to join us live, that's cool. You can every Tuesday at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern, and we would love to have you. But today, we're going to be discussing various mistakes that game devs make uh, in various stages of their kind of game dev career. Uh, some of them like kind of assume you want to be a commercial game dev. Some of them, you know, are apply both to hobbying and stuff like that too. So no matter how you make games, I think there'll be some good content in here for you to learn, especially if you're new to game Dev, which if you've done some game Dev TV courses and stuff like that, I assume you're starting out somewhere in that area. Um, and this talk should be helpful to you., uh, Rick and I both have a ton of experience in the game industry, and we want to share some of our thoughts on the matter and kind of go through and and help some people out if we can. So feel free to chat along in the Q&A live channel, uh, the text channel that's right above the voice lounge and ask any questions that you want to along the way. Preface them with QSTN if you'd like and uh, we can can answer them as we go or we'll get to some questions at the end as well. So uh, that's it. Uh, Rick, do we want to start with the number one mistake? First of all, I thought you were going to say, when you said, uh, Rick and I
1: have a lot of experience, I thought you were going to say, Rick and I have a lot of experience making mistakes, which I think we do. I've made a mistake or two in my time in the land of game development. So sometimes it's good to learn from others' mistakes as opposed to smashing into that mistake yourself. But you know what? Um, Slight anecdote, slight deviation in our roadmap here, Tim. Let me tell a story. Once upon a t- no, not that sort of story. Uh, I have a I have a brother. He's fourteen. With Rick. He's yeah. Get comfortable, everyone. Grab your latte. Um, I have a brother. He's fourteen years younger than I am. So every now and again, I try to impart some you know some clever wisdom to him. Uh, you know, into, oh, make sure you do this or don't do that or whew, when you get to my age, you know, make sure you stretch. Not that I do all that kind of nonsense. Um, he doesn't care. He's like, well, I'm just going to do whatever the heck I want and I'm going to learn by the School of Hard Knocks, and so he's out there doing things exactly the same as I was at his age, uh, doing things kind of not really listening, just doing it your own way, and then afterwards you're like, whew, I wish someone had told me that. It's like, dude, I told you that. So we're going to tell you some things. Some things will stick for you as we talk about it, mistakes, things to avoid, things to do well, and some things you'll be like, you know, I'm just going to do it my way, But When at some point you realize, ah, this isn't going so well, then just make sure you you connect to the fact that you've heard people give you a warning about this, realize it early, and then take action on it early. It's not a crime to make a mistake. Absolutely not. But, um, you know, if you do it too many times in
0: a row, then
1: it's a little bit naughty.
0: Well, you know what else too is a lot of people tend to look to the successes for the answers, right? So they'll watch GDC talks from successful people, they'll follow successful people and all that stuff. When a lot of times the best kind of knowledge and advice comes from people who have made mistakes, who've done the thing wrong, right? Because the people that have been successful don't always know why they were successful. uh, But the people that have made mistakes understand the value of their mistakes and what happened and what went wrong. And you can learn a lot from what people did wrong and the things that they wish they hadn't done versus the things that they actually did. Because sometimes the things they did were just timing or luck or people they knew, you know, all that kind of stuff. So mistakes are one of my favorite subjects, to be honest, because I have learned a ton uh, by just making mistakes. And it (laughs) makes me sound like a failure. And I've failed a thousand times in my life. I have five different companies that have failed in the startup world. I've made dozens of games. Most of them, nobody will ever hear of ever again. And I don't look at that as a bad thing. I look at that as a lesson. Each one of those have taught me things by I've done v- different things that I've learned along the way. And I've learned that I like certain things. I don't like certain things. Uh, there's faster ways to do things. And there's, you know, better ways to do things. And mistakes can really help you kind of move forward uh, no matter what you're, you're in. Uh, we're obviously talking about game dev today, but uh, it can apply to life, I think, a lot of this stuff
1: a lot of what we talk about applies to life. We're so deep. We're spiritual and deep. <laughs> Have I told you about this game I'm interested in making? Okay, well, we'll get to that later. We'll get the chat's already lit up with their favorite topic, but I'm not going to I'm not going to go there yet. I'm going to resist this conversation. I'll wait a little bit before we go there and derail it. So Tim, what's the first thing on your list of five five things? What do you reckon?
0: I'm so strong. the number one mistake, and these are not in any particular order. They're not like in from crazy, uh, you know, worst mistake to best mistake. They're just kind of top five mistakes. Yeah. Um, the first mistake here is not starting. So that seems... Is that a
1: mistake? That doesn't... That sounds like...
0: <laughs> is that a... That sounds it's like a, being kind of... It's like whatever he does. It sounds like uh, being... Yeah. It sounds like being a game dev. <laughs> <It's just that. laughs> but... There are so many people, and I know this. We know this from Game Dev TV and stuff too. Like, a lot of people will think about game dev, uh, they'll plan their ideas out, they'll, you know, write stuff down, but they'll never actually start. And we know that, like, a lot of people, for example, will um, pick up a course and never start the course. Uh, they'll save YouTube videos to watch later, but they'll never start the YouTube videos. Uh, so, not starting is actually the biggest way you can prevent yourself from ever getting anywhere in game dev right and in Mm -hmm. life and in business too so many people that i meet um when i tell them about game like oh i had a game idea i always wanted to make a game well why didn't you start like why didn't you go along that path most people have these ideas and they have the what they want to do but they never actually do it and i think the people in this group are probably a little bit ahead of the curve because if you know if you're in a discord group for game dev and, and stuff like that you might be a step ahead, uh, but still, there, maybe there's something you didn't start on. And it's not just big projects. It could be small things, too. Like, maybe you didn't start on that uh, that AI system that your game really needs, right? And you coded your way around it because it's intimidating um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think, I think uh, not starting is one of the bigger mistakes and, that people make. And there's a little bit of... Um...
1: That topic's wrapped up a little bit with procrastination. So I I think when we talk about procrastination, in other words, putting something off, not doing it, uh, we think that it's a personality trait. Oh, I'm just a procrastinator. I'm just lazy. I'm just not good at doing those sorts of things and following through. But it's situational and procrastination, the reason we procrastinate is either because we don't know what to do, we don't know how to do it, or we don't believe that we should be doing it. And so if you look at something and you're putting it off and you're not doing it, putting it off, off, there's a very good chance you're like, well, I just kinda, it looks difficult. I don't know how, I'm not sure if it's gonna succeed. I'm not sure if I'm gonna be good enough, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, if you've got a model, a strategy for overcoming that, usually asking someone, talking about it uh, helps a lot. So finding someone in the community, finding a group you can join, finding somewhere you can be part of. Game Dev TV's got lots of these opportunities to, to meet people, talk to people and bounce these things and say, look, I'm I'm thinking about starting on this game that's gonna be, I don't know, a mobile game. I haven't made mobile games before. I'm just a little bit I don't know where to start. And someone's gonna say, Oh, check out this thing or do that or maybe this or maybe the other, give you a couple of ideas and possibly get you unstuck. So identify why you're not starting and see if you can get a little bit of a kickstart to to get going and we've got a question that's relevant to this from brift uh what about the problem of perfectaplegia? i haven't heard it called that before but that's great uh when one doesn't want to even start without having things even somewhat worked out before uh, i saw this a lot a lot when i was working in studios as a game designer or as a producer or as as someone who was setting the vision for something I talk to programmers and they say cool i need to build the system tell me exactly how it works but my particular philosophy for game design is an iterative game design philosophy where you throw something in the the engine and you see how it feels and then you expand on it and you follow follow the fun so to speak and that would blow their minds They're like yeah but how do i even build that like oh, do you want me to architect and a gigantic sandbox so you can experiment with everything no no no, just. Just do what we need to do first. And so for anyone who's looking to have everything perfectly scoped out, I would suggest that your your process or your model for making games is, is not necessarily the only way to make games. I try to go down the path of the experimental game developer, the iterative game design approach where you just need to do the next thing and see how it feels. And then you do the next thing and see how
0: it feels. You don't need to have it all mapped out from the start. I 100% agree. And you know what? That leads beautifully into the second mistake, Rick. second mistake is... What's that,
1: Tim? What's the second one? Building
0: the the tech and not the game. Mm. So so you just mentioned (laughs) that programmers a lot of times will try to build the whole system or they'll try to build the sandbox, right? If you want to play around with stuff, they'll try Mm. to build all this different stuff. And a lot of times what they need to do is build the specifics of the game. And not only do they need to build it, but a lot of times they need to build it fast and messy, right? They try to build, and this we see this sometimes with people trying to build their own engine. Not that you shouldn't build your own engine, you can if you wanna learn how to make game engines. But if you wanna learn how to make games, the best way to do it is make games, not engines, right? Engines is a whole nother deal. Uh, we don't see this as much anymore, but back, back in my day, we used to see people build game engines a lot. Um, but there's a lot of stuff in the game that you can get lost in, right? A game is a huge project. And if you're building it, it's really easy to just say, oh, you know what? Okay. So I'm, I'm going to build some enemies, but rather than build the enemies, I need to build an enemy system and I need to build duplicatable components for each enemy. And I need to have uh, AI that's modular, right? So I'm going to sit down and I'm going to build this giant modular AI system that works with as many enemies as I want on screen and I'm just gonna build that from scratch right now Problem is mm. th- there's a couple problems there one is you may not have the technology or the skill to do it uh, two you may not need it at all right like you don't know what your enemies should do I, I ran into this problem with my game Cypherpunk um, I built really complex uh, AI and and I was making basically a turn-based stealth game. And what I realized is that I didn't need really complex AI after I built the system. What I needed was dudes to walk back and forth from left to right. And when they see you, they chase you. Like, that's it. But I thought I needed a really complex AI. And actually, what ended up happening is the AI was so complex that people thought it was unpredictable. And in a stealth game, unpredictable AI was unfun. It it actually made the game worse by me putting all that time into a uh, a custom AI uh, system. So, so yeah, building the tech not the game, I think is a is a bigger mistake. I think just like you said, Rick, that you need to focus on building the thing you're trying to build and not build all the stuff around it.
1: Yep, uh, interesting question from Jeff. How often should you throw everything out and start from scratch in iterative game development? Um, it's interesting. I think a lot of us will work on, a, on any sort of thing, work on a game, work on a product and get to a point where like, oh, I kind of don't want to do this anymore. And I think there's a really good philosophy for when you're working on things like that is if you can move really quickly, you know, get in there, got an idea, work on it, smash it, go for it. If you're that sort of person, you're working with velocity and you get to the point where you're hating what you're working on. Oh, this is no good. I'm not enjoying it. Uh, this is, I don't, f- I'm not feeling it. I Personally think you should just stop at that point and start a new thing done Don't let it drag don't let it eat at you Don't let it become that thing that you you take weeks and weeks and weeks where you get nothing done I should work on it You should all over yourself so to speak because you started it and well, I guess I should finish it But if you're not feeling the joy if it's becoming, you know Just not good to work on I, I'm a big fan of saying "Well, go find the thing that is and you might need to go through three or four or five or six things to find that thing where You're like I'm really digging this this feels right because then you need to put in the rest of the work on it. The rest of the work might be another 80% of the time. Now, saying that, that's different to saying you're working on something and then it just gets difficult to work on. Difficult to work on. Oh, I've got this kind of bug I can't quite figure out, or you know, I need to implement this system and it's a bit tough. That's different, that's giving up when you should find the solution, should push through that barrier. That's, you know, running the marathon and getting to the halfway point and, you know, kind of losing a bit of momentum because you, oh, this is so long, so far to go. You have to push through that particular barrier and get to the next side of it. So the distinction here is if your game just doesn't feel very good, you're like, I'm not really, proud of this game in, well, that's the wrong word because often as game developers, we're not proud even when we get it out the door. So don't use that criteria, bad word to use there. But if you look at it, you're like, this game just doesn't feel right. People are playing it and being like, meh, and, and you're not digging it. You don't wanna work on it for another year, so to speak. Then yeah. um, then move quickly. But if this whole approach, you have got to move fast. Iterative game design, throw it in there, see how it feels next, 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 until you find something that kind of clicks. And uh, one of your other points, I think, Tim, is going to be related to uh, related to how you make that decision. Can I go to Can I go to your point number? What is it? Do it. Point number four, five. Five. <laughs> I do this, don't I? Um, is Is keeping it a secret, not showing it to people. That's a massive mistake, is just making your game in a bubble. So you've got to show your game to other people. And for other people, like, this is kind of cool, I'm liking it. Then keep going with it. It's got legs. You know, push past any of those difficult moments where you want to give up. But if you're showing it to people and they're like, man, this is kind of crap, not interested, I don't know, If you're getting that kind of response, then you've got more of a license to say, I need to do something dramatic with my iteration or with my changes or really mix it up. But uh, did you want to tell us a bit more about your experience with the not showing it to people? Yeah, so some
0: people people are confused in the chat because they're wondering what mistake we're on. So we did one and two and Rick jumped to five. So now we're on five. We're going to go back to three and four shortly. But maybe so not showing it early. (laughs) is is something that i used to make all the time uh it's if you don't show off what you have early it's very easy to one lose momentum but two if it's like a commercial project for example you you lose a bit of uh momentum you you can lose a bit of you can lose a lot actually but with from the marketing perspective uh, I have to lo- stop looking at the chat while I'm trying to talk. Yeah, me too. I'm right. looking. At my... <laughs> so, I'm like... I'm like, give me pause here. Um, so uh, not showing it early is something I did uh, pretty often with my early games. But I found that with uh, my latest games, one of the things that I've done is is almost all of the work... I've adopted a philosophy of like working in public basically. So I live streamed my games, I posted devlogs, I tweeted about the cool stuff I was doing. I basically, everything that I did, I I treated it like I was working in public and I kept doing that. And what that did is it allowed me to uh, get on various YouTube videos. Like there's people that cover, like with Battleborn Tactics, my upcoming game, um, I've been covered several times in YouTube videos of like the top upcoming turn-based tactics games. And I don't, I don't know those YouTubers. I don't even know how they found me. But I'm assuming that it had to do with me just doing everything in public, right? So I'm getting thousands of views. In some cases, tens of thousands of views. Uh, just because I'm kind of posting about stuff that I'm doing. And those are adding up to wish lists. And those wish lists are ultimately going to make me money um, for when I launch the game, right? And that's just because I'm showing everything that I'm doing early. And uh, I'm marketing, in a sense, uh, kind of my game out there but i'm just showing stuff early the other part of it too is that you get you get feedback right if if you want to launch a successful uh commercial game right like you want to actually make money from your your stuff you need to have in the startup world this would be called product market fit right you have to make sure your product fits the market the thing that you made needs to fill the need that the people have right and in games, it's really easy to kind of fall in love with your little creation, but there's not actually demand for it. Like nobody really wants it. Right. And especially we're, we're in this problem now with all these indie games that are launching. And if you want to make a commercially successful game, you have to pay attention to that product market fit. And the best way to do that is to show your stuff off early because people will tell you, Hey, this isn't interesting or, or, or better yet. What usually happens is just people ignore it. Right. Like they're just they you post about your game and like nobody cares, right? And if that's the case, if if you continually post about this thing and nobody cares, you've got two options: either you continue to iterate on it and make it better and make it more attractive, or you jump to something new, right? Uh, as far as like commercial success goes, obviously if you're a hobbyist, you can do whatever the hell you want, but yeah, and you so know, I it's important.
1: I I mean, you you and I have been doing lots of preparation and research for our upcoming. Uh, indie game marketing event this weekend, and we'll tell you guys a little bit more about that later on if you're interested. Uh, but the the more I look at what has a game be successful out there in the market, the more I'm convinced that if you don't have that point of remarkability, if you don't have that point of it stands out, it's it's a bit different, it's a bit unusual, it grabs your attention. If you don't have that doesn't matter how great your marketing strategy is the the techniques you need to use the way you contact people the way you present you know speak about your game the way you 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 contact youtubers just there's so much to do with your marketing that is dependent upon having something that people will care about or be interested in or will pop and stand out so just time and time again when we look at something like okay that game has a crazy looking character, that game is really interesting because of these reasons. That game, whoa, haven't seen that before. Oh wow, that's taking these two genres and mushing it together, that's really interesting. So you've got to show your game to people to figure that out. You can't design that in a bubble. You You need to get there and say, okay, what if I have my character have gigantic hair? And you show it to people, they're like, that looks dumb. What, okay, okay. No, it's not the hair. What if the head, he has gigantic feet and kind of trips over a lot and people are like, "Oh, this is hilarious!" You're like, "Okay, okay, I think I'm onto something here." So then you can work through it. Maybe he's a clown. Okay, he's a clown with huge feet, and he's running around and he bashes into things. And oh, he's driving a tiny little car. So you can allow that. That one or two. Um, if you find that that early wow to your game, you can then leverage that and build that into the whole, what your game is. So you don't need to start out with a game saying, it's going to be a game about clowns. It's going to be a game where you have to rescue other clowns. And the enemy is going to be uh, the ringmaster and elephants. Like you, you don't need to start your game that way. You start by saying, it's going to make a thing where, I don't know, I'll give the guy big feet and see what happens. Who has big feet? Uh, clowns. And, and, and allowing the theme and the flavor to, to derive from whatever it is, whatever it is that people seem to be taking the
0: joy in with your game. Yes. I I think it, a lot of times good creative things are discovered. They're not kind of designed. Right. Mm. And it's, it's hard to explain that to somebody that hasn't kind of been through the process, but there's so many times where literally by showing my stuff off early, by getting feedback, by finding out what people are interested in, uh I I discover stuff about my game that I did not know was true, right? Like I discover yes. that people like a different part of my game than I thought they did. And uh it's it I from a designer perspective, it's really fascinating for me because I'm like, okay, this thing I really cared about people don't care about, but this thing I randomly threw in at 2am people are like crazy for. So I'm going to make that the main focus. Right. Yeah. And that, that affects how you sell the game too. Right. Like if I'm not going to keep talking about my favorite feature, if the feature that gets everybody excited is, is some crazy, crazy thing. That's different than what I think is cool. Right. So yeah. I'm I'm interested just uh, for those who are listening live
1: in the chat. Um, if you're working on a game at the moment or if you've got a game you've you've worked on recently or even a game jam game, uh, I'm interested to know if you can write one sentence about that game that's compelling. So if you've got a game you, you've, or even something you're thinking about, what's your one sentence that would be, I'd read that one sentence and I think that sounds cool. And obviously it's a very visual medium. So you wanna be showing people visuals, but uh, often that one sentence is what someone will turn to someone else and say. It's a game where, get this, get this game, Tim, where you play as a dog dragging itself around by oh, with its cats. hind legs in the air. Like that's that could be the hook. That could be the one sentence for the game. Um, you know, or the one sentence for your game could be. It could be anything. It could describe. Um, the game mechanic, it could describe the genre, the, the mashup between A and B. But I'm really interested to see, do, do you guys have your one sentence? Have you figured that out? Because if you don't know it, if you're like, I don't know, it's just a fun game, then people don't necessarily have a way to turn to their friend and say, you should check out this game because it is all about blah. You know, I, I love Rocket League and the fact that you can turn to your friend and say, it's soccer or football, depending where you're from, uh, it's football with cars so clear so clear and interesting and and weird and compelling uh, and it's it's very shareable if you if you present it like that so um, just interested to see if you guys have got any any statements any any one sentence hook statements out there
0: rocket league's interesting too because literally in 2 seconds of a gif you can tell what the game is right like you just get it yeah. you know how to play automatically you just yeah. see it and it's great there's a lot of people that
1: posted their uh their their pitch. Spellcasters here. going on raids and fighting each other. Velociraptor with jetpacks and laser guns. Okay.
0: Challenging and that.
1: rewarding when beat, I'm not sure. H- health is mana, less health, more fun spellcasting. Uh, war is broken out between the undead and for one sole purpose to determine the one true skeleton king. That's mine, as sanders. You know, that's really, I'd, I'd like to touch on that for a moment. This is from Master Bronze Elite. War is broken out between the undead, blah, 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 determine the one true skeleton king. So that's a really good story summary. And uh, for me, I, I've, you know, I'm, I I like narrative design. So anyone who's like, oh, your story and characters and dialogue and stuff, they're, they're a bit of a narrative designer. That's the role in the industry, someone who does that stuff. As a as a hook for your game, it's not strong because people don't yet care about the undead or the one true skeleton king. So, um, if if you focus on story as your as your hook, it's not going to be as strong as if you focus on why why do we care about the skeleton king or what's interesting about the undead or how do you defeat the undead or are you an undead. You know, so you play as undead trying to rip the hearts out of other undead or whatever it might be. In terms of giving me something that I do as a player, something that I'm already invested in. And this is is really tough because if you work on your game for any, you know, months and years, you get really invested in the story. You get relationships with the characters, with the lore, with the flow, with you know, with the goal. So for you, it it can really pop. And this may or may not be the case with master bronze elite um just kind of using you as a bit of an example because I was, I was looking for someone who went for more more of a story positioning on this so thank you for helping us with that example um but you need to be careful as an indie game developer not to lead with your story allow story to delight people when they're in your game as opposed to making your game about the story when people are first um figuring out what it's about
0: yeah and i think the like the one exception that would be like a a narrative driven game or like a you know some kind of visual novel right because then that's the main reason that people are interested in your game right but for most things i 100 percent agree that like yeah you you've gotta you've gotta hook people in more ways than one yep. right up front yep um okay so we went through mistake number one is not starting mistake number two is building the tech not the game mistake number five is not showing early mistake number three now we haven't covered And that is underestimating scope. So remember, this is mistakes that indie game devs make. A lot of game devs are beginners. And one of the first things that beginners do is they learn a little bit of game dev and they learn enough to be dangerous, right? And what happens is they're like, oh, I just made a dude that's running and jumping. So now I'm gonna make a dude that's running and jumping, but with a thousand players, Online multiplayer, uh, driving in cars with clowns, right? As Rick said, Rick's better with game ideas than I am. Okay, uh, and they think it's going to take them two weeks because that you know their their current prototype took them a week, but it's actually going to take them two years because there's a thousand things in there that they've never done before, and if you've never done it before, one you don't know how long it takes, but two you don't know how long it takes because you don't know how long it takes, right? Uh, and there, you have to learn the whole process and that's going to take 10 times as long. But on top of that, even after you've done it once, it's still going to take longer than it does the third time or the fourth time. So underestimating scope is a huge problem. It's actually the single biggest reason that people don't finish uh, their games is they overscope, And in that they've underestimated their scope. They thought it was smaller than it was and when it turns out to be larger than they can handle. A lot of times they just abandon their game. And it sucks because the indie game Graveyard is is massive these days. And I hate to see it. I've seen so many cool projects just die because of that. And uh, I, I'm a fan of more people should make more games. So don't underestimate scope, people.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's, it's really, really difficult to know how long things will take. And... That's the issue, right? Scope, having a lot of stuff is not the problem. It's taking a lot of time or taking a long time to create it. That's the problem. And when we're, if you haven't done it before, how the heck do you know? And this is a little bit, the a lot of the agile project development philosophies don't start with, you know, more of the traditional waterfall approach where you say, okay, how long will that take? Two weeks. Then how long will that take? Okay, one week. How long will that take? Four weeks. How long will that take? And you build it all out and say, right, that's going to take two years. That's one way of doing it. The other way of doing your development is to say, okay, you've got two weeks to work on this aspect of your game and as good as it gets, you're done. At the end of the two weeks, you don't get more time. You move on to the next thing. So that's one way of working through. If you want to have a cool system with, with guns and reloading and, and gun switching and whatever, you might say to yourself, okay, I've got a one week to build this system and I need to make sure that it works in that one week. I can't architect it in a way where uh, I build this amazing framework and at the end of a, a week I've got a framework but nothing to show for it. You've got to build your game so that it's constantly playable, constantly buildable and constantly showable to people. and the, the strategy I would say to avoid overscoping is write down all the stuff you'd like to have in your game, all the nifty ideas, all the amazing stuff, put it in your backlog. So in other words, here are all the things I'd like to do and then prioritize them in terms of most important to least important in terms of your game being enjoyable and and hitting the experience you're trying to hit for it and uh and start with the most important thing for your game and get the most important thing for your game really tight and interesting and polished and playable and fun and if you don't get anything else implemented in your game your game should still be playable and uh, as you get a bigger team as you get more people on your team or if you are working in a bigger studio you don't have to follow that same approach you can have You know eight different people working on eight different things at the same time and the game only kind of works when those eight things come together but as an indie game developer you need to be smart about the sort of game that you design so that it can work if you only get two of your 10 cool features done it it can't rely on more than a couple of the features to even be playable Uh, if that's the case you need to change your design
0: right which is why the the traditional like meme of game devs making an mmo is so like prevalent because look at how many features you need for an MMO to be functioning right just the basic login interact with another player fight an enemy on a server is a ridiculous amount of work to get that running so and that goes back to our number two of building the game and not the tech right like you want to whatever you're trying to build you should focus solely on building the thing that you're trying to build not build the technology around it you can always refactor it if you use it later right like if you're and again, I, I build a lot of turn-based, grid-based, uh, technical kind of uh, procedurally generated games. So they're systems games, right? And I have to build a lot of systems. And I learned early on, if I start building the systems before I build the game, I almost always have to rewrite the systems. So now I prototype very rapidly. And I make I, if, if I have to make an item, for example, I don't build an item system I put one object in there. That's got a thing and I hack it together with this other script. Sometimes I'll even use like visual stuff in, in, um, various things like plugins and stuff like that just to make stuff as, as easy as possible. I'm especially doing that since I've been learning unity. Like I don't even, I'll use playmaker or whatever the hell to just plug stuff in. Um, I'm getting it done as fast as possible once i've got my dude running around that could pick up an item and i'm like oh okay okay so this is how it should work this is what it should do and then i tweak it and i edit it and i'm like okay that's what i want i want 10 more of those so that's when i build the item system right and yep. uh you can just save so much time and, and so much energy by figuring out what you want first then then trying to build out the whole system before you're sure if you need it
1: yeah exactly Uh, It's not listed in your list of mistakes, Tim, but I think related to to this conversation is um, leaving it too late to make your game look pretty. And the way I was taught game development way, way, way back when was more of a traditional software way of doing things. So you you come up with the, the big ass game design document, you spec everything out, you get in there and you build it, and then once you've got everything kind of height in terms of gameplay then you start to create your art assets and you make it look good and then you polish it and that's a good flow if you're on a gigantic team and this is why i was trained this way is because they were training us to work in AAA studios because y- you can't bounce around if if someone's like mm, you know what maybe our characters are going to fly instead of run and and everyone you know the 50 artists who have been assuming a particular way of making it, they're like what you know we're <laughs> throwing out all our work so you need to kind of when you've got a big factory of people making a game you need to get a lot more certainty than that but as an indie game developer you can do these things where you say okay i'm pretty sure my this is how my character is going to run i'm pretty sure this is how the world is going to be i'm not going to go and change the gameplay dynamics so much that it breaks the world it's time to put in some assets so that you can first of all so you can feel good about the game there's nothing Uh, Well, not nothing, but there's a really great feeling, I think, when you're working on your game and you go from cubes and blocks and programmer art or placeholder stuff, and then you put in some nice assets. You're like, ah, this feels like a game. This feels good. I'm excited. You do a lighting pass on it to make the lighting look the way it's supposed to so you You add some particle effects, you add some sound effects. And so that when you're showing it to people and getting them pumped about it, they're getting more of a, an accurate representation of this is what the game could be. They're not commenting just on, you know, a cube bouncing into another cube. You know, that could be fun in and of itself. But when you get the right. visuals in there, then then they can really start to feel it. And the lighting as well. And if it's a 3D game, make sure you get a decent skybox in there. Don't just use the standard skybox. And um and you know, make sure your animations don't look hokey so that you can people don't get stuck on, oh, this game seems okay, but why does the why is his animation look dumb? You're like, da da, don't worry about that. I haven't put that in yet. Um, I think it's really important as indie game developers, once you lock in that first feature that you're working on. Say for example it's it's movement or or combat or something. You're like, cool, that's feeling really good. I'm really happy with it. Get some assets in there. Get the character asset. Get the enemy asset. Get some yeah. world assets. So you've got a pretty corner that you can be like, this is this is what the rest of the game's gonna be like and feel like. And it's motivating.
0: Yeah, I think I think it really matters kind of like who you're talking to, especially. Like if you're gonna put the game anywhere in the public a lot of people don't understand the difference between a cube and a fully animated character. And so when they play the cube, for example, and they move left and right, they'll be like, oh, it feels weird. What they don't realize is that the animation of the character is what makes it feel fluid and and punchy and stuff like that. And sometimes you'll get some really weird feedback, too. Like, I've gotten feedback on placeholder stuff of like, oh, the controls don't feel responsive. And it's because the animation was off, right? Like, the placeholder animation... Uh, took too long to ramp up, whereas like the actual animation only had one frame to start moving, for example. So like it it can throw you off as a beginner to get feedback like the controls aren't responsive when it's a completely different thing. It's a it's an asset that you haven't even made yet, and it's an animation speed issue, right? Stuff like that happens kind of all the time. So it's important to keep that in mind, and and um, I agree, especially if you're going to be showing off early, like our tip number five is. If you're gonna be showing your stuff, you want to make sure that it's it's polished and good to go. On top of that, just to add to what Rick was saying, is that like there's a lot of polish stuff. There's a lot of particles and jumps and physics and uh, tween effects and ripples and just like polished things that can actually make a boring game fun. They yeah. literally can. Like you can take an average game. And you can add some over the top crazy polish to it, and especially with sound effects and just like you know tweens and all kinds of crazy stuff, and you can make it fun and interesting to play. Like even if you take like a cube jumping up and down, if you spend a lot of time on the warping of that cube as it jumps up and down, if you spend time on the physics and the uh, how much it bounces, and you spend time on like color changes and particles and stuff like that, you can literally make an animated cube like fun to jump around. And that's why prototyping is so important because finding that fun early is super important before you start building onto the game because you don't know what part of that is going to be fun. And that might have been your character controller, for example, needs to feel really solid really early on, especially if you make a game like I did with Thoughtophobia, which is a precision platformer. Uh, You need to get your character controller sorted out ASAP because I made the mistake of after designing 100 levels changing the uh the physics calculation slightly which threw off the jump which threw off the run speed which threw off all 100 levels that i had built (laughs) so i had to i had to go back and retweak every single one of my precision platforming levels to fit uh the new uh, character speed and kind of jump height and stuff like that so getting that stuff ironed out early is important yep uh should we reveal our last tip here Tip five? I think I already did that, my friend. <laughs>
1: tip, tip number four That's is our the last tip. one. Why are you doing it out yes. of order? People don't like things out of order. We're going to get letters. Dear Tim and Rick, I
0: found it quite offensive uh, <laughs> that you t- had we tip number bonus four. One. <laughs> I think I added a Someone bonus said one. Or- you did uh, not making it pretty fast enough. You know what? I'm gonna add a bonus one too. Someone else mentioned that after I had the not starting tip, that not finishing was going to be another tip. Bonus number two is not finishing. That's a lot of people don't finish their stuff, and uh, they really, really should, uh, because yeah. in addition to not starting, that not finishing, not getting over that final hurdle, is it kind of from a commercial sense, it definitely puts everything to waste. Like, obviously, you've learned stuff, and you've kind of uh, gotten better as a as a game dev, but um, you you didn't finish it, and you didn't launch it, and that's what you started the game dev for, right? You, you wanted to finish stuff. You wanted to launch a game. You wanted to show your friends. You wanted to say, hey, people, I'm a commercial game dev, and um, I think it's important. But, Rick, do you have anything to add before we move on to our final tip number four no <laughs> no go okay. for it man tip number, yeah. <laughs> tip number four <laughs> is crunch i think that's one of the biggest mistakes that game devs make and we talked about this a little bit on our previous uh mm, chats. contentious I
1: it's okay I, i'm ready to hear what you've got to say but i've got a counterpoint so let's Good. hear it let's great. hear it big shot what do you got <laughs>
0: So, um, I think some of the best points are happen when we have different opinions. I think it gives both perspectives, so it's great. I agree. Um, so, Captain Crunch is a horrible cereal, and nobody on the planet should eat it because it destroys the roof of your mouth. It's a huge mistake, and... <laughs> no, I stole that joke from chat. Um, crunching too hard for too long on a game, and crunch is basically the term for overworking yourself, working too many hours, not taking breaks, all that stuff... Um, can destroy your motivation completely. It can burn you out and it can actually lead to a lot of the other things that we're talking about. It can lead to um, not finishing your game. It can lead to not showing your stuff because you're demotivated. It can lead to not starting on the stuff that you need to start on. It can lead to a lot of the other mistakes that we're talking about. And literally, it can be a symptom of working too hard for too long. Now, I'm a very like creative motivational person so it's it's harder for me to work consistently the same amount of hours every single day as it is to do nothing for a few days and then work really hard on a lot of stuff right so it's been a kind of a learning experience as I've kind of learned to be a little bit more consistent but by default what I want to do is I want to have a cool idea spend 16 hours a day for four days and then never touch it again like that's kind of what my body wants to do by default But I realized that the 16-hour days were because they were causing the never touching it again. So if I could force myself to stop working uh, and kind of chill out a little bit, I could maintain that consistency over a longer time. A lot of people think of discipline as working when you don't want to work. But I believe discipline is also not working when you want to work. Right. That's the harder part of it for me is like when I'm really inspired, when I'm really into my project and I want to work till 6 a.m., having the discipline to stop myself and saying, no, I can't do this anymore. I've already been at this for six, eight hours. I need to chill out. uh, That was really hard lesson for me to learn. So uh, crunch, I think, is one of the bigger mistakes that people make. Rick, what's your counterpoint?
1: Well, I think you I think you gave it pretty good flavor and context, but uh, for me, it's again using the marathon comparison. If you if you do a sprint, when you're three quarters of the way through the marathon, you're gonna mess up your race. Like that's not the time to sprint. That's not the that's not when you should be doing the dash. Uh, it doesn't make sense. You're gonna burn yourself out. But the time to do a sprint is when you're in sight of the finish line and you give it everything you've got to get to the finish line. And so I think that finish line becomes a little bit more vague and ethereal when we're creating games because is the finish line when you're I don't know, releasing to early access, or is it when you're doing your launch, or is it when you're fixing all the you know the issues that your players find, or is it when you're doing your demo, or is it when you're you know getting the first idea in a game jam? So when is that sprint? And you don't want to have fifteen different sprint milestones necessarily. I think though, if if you have identified, here's the big moment when I'm going to uh, you know properly release the game or properly make it available to people who can pay for it and that's in two weeks time, I think there's something, there is a joy in that two weeks of giving it everything and working around the clock and really putting as much um, time and effort and and love into your game. And then after that, you have a break, you know, hopefully you've done it in a way where the day after launch, you're not then getting super busy fixing a bunch of stuff or doing, you know, 20 hours of marketing marketing a day or whatever it might require. Uh, But if you've if you've had a push, if you've had a sprint, then I think that can be, there can be joy in that. The same as if you sprint at the end of a race, you know, if you're running, there's some joy in that. Um, And I think joining that with the point you're making Tim is two weeks for a sprint, that's okay. Two months for a sprint, that's not okay, or for a crunch. Um, And I think that's the problem in all these studios we hear about uh, in the media where where the, employees are getting really upset is that they're okay crunching for a week or two or three they're just not okay crunching for six months and usually the crunch for six months is because someone made a bad decision or someone made a mistake uh higher up the tree so an executive got there and said hmm you know what we've made all these assets but i don't like them let's make this different sort of thing or uh, you know how you told me it's going to take two years to make well we've gone and promised that we'll launch in a year and a half And so there's all these folks who are having to crunch, not because they did anything wrong, just because someone else uh, made a mistake or changed their mind or, uh, you know, didn't listen to the advice about how long things would take. So small crunches, good, long crunches, bad.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I'm okay with, with short sprints. As a matter of fact, some of the most magical things that have ever happened to me in game dev have been in those short sprints, right? Um for launch of my game Phylophobia, I did six hours a day, six days a week for the last like four weeks and I was streaming it all live. And uh you know what? It was after launch day it was actually a weird feeling of loss. Like I was like, yeah. wait, no, I wanna I wanna get on and work six hours. <laughs> i want to go on stream like i want to go back to that so i had like this weird like kind of missing it but in retrospect that was the perfect amount of time because i i had i was working towards a goal i was focused on that goal i was making it happen i made it happen and then i kind of i chilled out afterwards i think if i had kept that going for two or three months i i might have never touched game dev again or or for at least for a very long time right so um i I think quick sprints, like game jams, especially weekend long game jams, are like perfect for me because I can sprint all weekend and have fun with it, uh, but at the same time not like extend myself for two years i I agree with you completely I think quick sprints are good um, longer term sprints uh can be very bad
1: so there's also there's also a skill that's it's really difficult skill i i haven 't mastered this skill to perfection myself, but there's a skill in taking the 80% approach. And what I mean by that is, you work through all the things you need for your game and you get them to 80% good enough. And you look at it like, oh, that's pretty good. You know, I could could do a bit of um, polish on that, make it better or that asset could use a bit of work or, you know, that bug, oh, it only happens in rare occasions, but it's still a bug, but you're getting your your game to 80% in all of the things that you need to have when you launch. And when you get to 80% of everything, Then you circle back and get everything to 85%. Then you circle back again, get everything to 90%. And at some point you've got to launch and you can do work after your launch. You can do post launch uh, upgrades and improvements and bug fixes and all that. You know, that's games are doing that all the time. But you don't need to, sorry, you get off track. If you've got, say 10 things that need addressing and you go to the first one and you get that to as perfect as you can and then you get to the next thing yeah. and you get that to as perfect as you can. And then you've run out of time. You've done two of the, the 10 things you need to do and you've run out of time. So you're like, oh my God, now I need to just crunch for the next month to get all these things done. Right. Because this one thing that only got to 20%, that can't, oh, I can't launch my game with it at 20%. It doesn't work. It's The, whole, yeah. the leaderboard crashes the game. Arrgh. So get things bug free, get things near enough is good enough and then um and then go find the next thing to get a little bit better that that's that's a yeah. huge you can lose days you know hours days weeks just going and making this one little asset making it better and better and better and better like but you've got another 100 assets that you haven't touched yet what are you what are you doing right. Like, stop it so, but, but that's <laughs> the joy like i i can get this can look great this character can look so amazing if i just keep working on it but you got to stop
0: you're going to move to the next thing yeah Two things to add on that. One is that like people don't realize how many diminishing returns are involved, especially in creative art. So like getting a model to 80% could take 10 hours, but getting a model from 80% to 90% could also take 10 hours. And then getting a model from 90% to 95% could take 20 hours and so on and so forth, right? Like they don't realize the diminishing returns that a lot of this stuff has. So getting it to 80% is super good advice because it lets you kind of sprint. In a, in a way to get everything acceptable uh, to where you can launch. And then the second thing to add onto that too, is that when the game comes around to launch, there are so many things where you're like, you know what, 80% is fine. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. nobody noticed that the jump animation was a little wonky and it was only 80% nobody said anything so yeah. we're rolling with it there there, there had to be a hundred things on my Trello list for Phylaphobia when I launched it that I was like I have to fix this before launch and then the closer we got to launch I'm like prioritizing and all those things just got pushed to the bottom and I prioritized like game breaking bugs and there was literally a bug where like the last boss you couldn't you couldn't kill so you couldn't finish the game. I'm like, all right, all the rest of the stuff is out. Let's finish the literal bug that stops you from finishing the game. Um so, yeah, you start to prioritize and you start to realize like a lot of the stuff that you thought was super important actually wasn't important at all. And yeah. uh the 80% approach is a really good one because so many things are actually plenty good enough at 80%. Yeah.
1: The one other mistake, another bonus, do have, can I add another bonus uh, <laughs> that, <for> <laughs> that game developers make is making, is not making an experience. And if you look at the best games, games that you love, games that you enjoy, it makes you feel a certain way, makes you, reminds you of a certain thing, uh, has you uh, feel like you're a certain role or a certain person, you know, you're playing FTL, you feel like the captain of a spaceship, you're playing um gears of war you feel like you're a you know you' you're actually in war as like a war correspondent following folks around and, and battling it away uh, if you're playing uh you know a, a MoBA you feel like you're you're actually um you know sudden that that whole sudden death kind of feeling uh, or a battle royale perhaps that's more the sudden death whatever it might be giving that experience but we focus on the mechanic we focus on the um the, just making a, a game that ticks the boxes into I need to be able to jump, I need to be able to shoot, I need to set a goal, I need to give a reward for the goal, I need to have a sound effect play. Cause we're down the trenches, we're deep down in it, deep down in the, how do I make this thing work? Aha, I, wow, I made the guy fly, Whew, that took a, a week, but he's flying, how amazing. And it's really difficult to then snap your brain into, but how's the player gonna feel about flying? Okay, now I need to put some love into it. So when you fly, do you feel like you're Superman? My game, I'm trying to make people feel like Superman flying fast and, and how at the moment when you fly, it kind of feels very mechanical. So how do I tune that and tweak it and, and adjust it? And how do I get some, some the, the sound of the wind making you feel like you're going really fast? And, and how do I smash into buildings and have this loud crash? So you've got to turn these mechanics into experiences. And then as you go along, your game is going to feel, it's going to, it's going to make people feel a certain way. Yeah, I
0: think that's a fantastic bonus. There's a lot of stuff that could be said about coherent game experiences. There's so many like simple game mechanics and just basic games, but they do the experience part right. Like they do the, the, uh, the setup and all that, right? You actually know what's a really good example of this is Jonas Tyroller's uh, game. He was nice enough to let me play it. Uh, before launch it's not out yet but it's called um, will you snail and that game like I made a platformer right Uh, and I played his platformer and I was just like oh my god this is such a coherent experience the whole game this AI is trying to kill you and that's what the game is basically about is like it's a game where an AI is literally predicting your moves and trying to kill you which is an amazing setup but the way that he puts that AI in the game constantly antagonizing you uh constantly making fun of you and and all that it just it was a beautiful setup and i think that's probably one of the best first 30 minutes i've ever experienced in an indie game so um mm. yeah it, it's so important yep uh awesome do we wanna do you want to look for some questions rick while take i take some questions summarize
1: yeah. everything okie dokie if you guys got any all questions right. just <laughs> pop a qstn oh okay you're gonna summarize i thought you're gonna like type something up or you know write some notes in your journal dear diary today we had a great session we didn't talk about i mean we, you don't we know didn't I talk about draggy dog. dog at all you know what would be a good game i've got a game idea i'm not gonna say it okay actually so, i did say it already we already talked about it
0: you know what the community says it for you you don't even need to say it anymore
1: yeah <laughs> literally when you started <laughs> talking somebody was like is this gonna
0: be about draggy dog draggy dog such a good game
1: someone's gonna make it i okay. saw a screenshot Someone... Yep. Yeah. oh you're trying to summarize Hey. <laughs> So I misunderstood what you are saying. You want me to stop talking or keep talking? <laughs> uh, it's comedy yet comedy hour with you got Rick and Tim.
0: Good ideas, Rick. <laughs> I okay. Do. You want to hear top them? five mistakes? <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> top five mistakes indie game does make. Number one is not starting. Get your stuff started. Actually get started. Number two is building the tech, not the game. If you're working on a game, focus on building the game. Don't worry about the tech until you need it, and you don't need it right up front. Number three is underestimating scope. Make sure you're scoping small and you're building tiny chunks that you can actually um, you know, bite off at one time. Don't uh, build anything too big. Crunching, number four, is crunching too hard for too long. Quick sprints are fine, but making stuff uh fast for a very long period can kind of burn you out number five is not showing early or not starting marketing early enough uh it's super important if you're planning on marketing your game or you plan on getting feedback and stuff like that you want to show your stuff off early bonus number one tip is not making it pretty fast enough the aesthetic look of your game is the single uh best way for people to find you and find out if they uh, like your game so making it aesthetically uh, pleasing quickly is important if you're going to be showing it off. Bonus number two is not finishing. Obviously you need to finish to launch anything and uh, if I would say that there's there's a one massive population in game dev, it is the people that have started but not finished. And so many people, very few people, I would say less than 10% of people, uh, in my estimation, uh, finish their games. So that's important. And bonus number three is not making a coherent game slash fantasy experience. So figuring out what your game's fantasy is, what what, your, what the experience is you want to deliver to the player and kind of making that coherent and making that um, flow through the game in uh, many different ways. It's kind of experience. So let's take some questions.
1: Yeah, if you guys got any questions, there's a question from Brift. How does one find people to work with, especially as a poor hobbyist with overly grand ideas? The, the thing we've concluded there is game jams. So when there's a game jam coming up, hey, does anyone want to team up? Make sure you've got a skill to bring. You've got to be more than just someone with uh, overly grand ideas, because uh, it's not the most valuable skill set to bring to a team. But if you've got some design skills, you've got some implementation skills, it, bringing something to the table, and then team up with people for game jam. Hey, anyone looking for a, for the sort of thing that I can bring? And, you know, if you can't bring anything, then you need to get some skills so you can bring that to the table. Uh, that's super important. Um, right. And yeah, <laughs> both staff skills. Um, Napoleon Dynamite reference there. Thank you, Brift. Uh, so yeah, bring something, Game Jams, this community here, find people. See, if you find people being active and saying good stuff, you're like, oh, that person seems pretty cool, strike up a conversation. Hey, what's your skill? What's my skill? What are you up to? Work on something small first. Work on a, a week long game. Don't start with the big thing. That's how I would go about finding people to work with.
0: Totally. And and like Rick said, you gotta, you gotta date before you get married, right? So like, um, game jams are a perfect way to find people because it's a small commitment. And then you might have a week-long game jam instead of a weekend game, game jam. And then after you do that, it's a lot easier to, to work on a game for six months with somebody, right? Rather than just saying, hey, do you wanna go work on this two-year project right out the gate? They don't know you. They don't know anything about you, so. Um, hey, it's important to, to kind of start that.
1: Just, just while I remember, we haven't mentioned it. We've been talking about it a lot. So we're just about to stop talking about it. Our uh, indie game marketing event we're doing this weekend, the 23rd and 24th. So it is officially the last minute. If you've been waiting for the last minute in order to check it out and see if it is for you, it is now the last minute. Uh, we're gonna be loading that up with tons of good stuff. Even if you can't come along for all of the eight hours that we're doing over the weekend, Uh, you can come along for some of it and you can ask us questions you can bring your ideas your games your marketing strategy where you're getting stuck uh, and then you can watch the live recordings later live recordings are only for event participants we're not going to be flogging them off and selling them Uh, they're just for people who are coming along uh, to the event we're trying to be as um as valuable and as authentic as we can for those folks who are at that stage of wanting to uh, improve their marketing and really understand how they can make their first thousand dollars on steam that's what we're trying to do for you and uh, tim and i have been focusing a lot on that in a lot of these conversations a lot of these devology live casts because marketing has been top of mind as we've been preparing for the event but after the event we're going to be moving on to something else i think our brains will turn their attention to some other topics in terms of the whole indie game development journey and uh, we most likely won't be running the event again for at least six to twelve months we're we're giving it our all, and then we're going to call our jets on that for a while. So um, you won't hear us talking about the marketing event for a little bit, but that is it. If you're interested, now's the time to come and join us. So I think Tim has put the link on the page, uh, gamemarketingworkshop.com. And as with everything we do in life, if you come along and you think it's a big steamy pile of draggy
0: dog, then you get your money back. Yeah, totally. I'm super excited about this weekend. GameMarketingWorkshop.com if you guys are interested. Uh, in addition to that, Rick and I actually filmed a video too about some Steam marketing tips. So if you guys want that for completely free, you can go to GameMarketingWorkshop.com slash marketing dash tips uh, and you can go ahead and get that uh, no charge. There's we, we go through some Steam stuff and how to how to be successful on Steam pages. And that's there for people that want to just watch a video and get some get some cool tips just like we talked about in this uh in this Devology live cast the but, and well just one other ahead. thing sorry tim you, you finish you go no go ahead rick i, I was wait. just
1: gonna say i'm really interested in um what what other big things folks in the community want us to dig into um you know what are gaps for you what would you like us to to bring some of our to train our laser beams towards uh in terms of your your careers in terms of indie game development, in terms of life, what is it that you would like to hear us talk about, um, you know, next week when we catch up.
0: Taboos of the industry.
1: Taboos. Huh? Are,
0: are we allowed to talk about that? That's why they're a taboo, taboo for they? a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I feel like yes. the game developer police force is gonna knock on our door what's the next call topic going to be uh we have to figure that out we're going to i'm going to go ahead and um come up with some if um topics and I'll I'll post them on the uh discord event channel when we when we get that out yeah
1: i like this uh, i'm going to post some stuff <laughs> <Our> old tim <team.
0: laughs> it's well we've been working so hard for the the marketing event stuff my brain has been really scattered i've been trying to make sure we deliver extra value for that so yep
1: um, totally, totes malotes my friend, you're smashing it, smashing, we're, we're slurping all of the marketing knowledge from your brain. There's a lot in there, so hopefully we're not removing it,
0: we're just borrowing it. Yeah, Um. I did see real quick, Rez asked the question, and he mentioned me twice, so I want to make sure I cover it. Uh, last time you mentioned you were upset and just dedicated yourself to making your game and finishing it, did you change or add any habits to make it happen, any lifestyle changes? Uh, Yeah, I did. Uh, I set up a pretty solid routine. So in the morning, I would wake up. I would um, make coffee. I would uh, sit for about a half hour. I'd watch a Splattercat video. If you don't know about Splattercat, he posts a new video on an indie game every day. After I watched a Splattercat video, I would get straight to work, and I would focus specifically on um, output. So for the longest time I was focusing on outcome and I think focusing on outcome is super important in a lot of aspects in life. But for me I was getting really discouraged with things like uh YouTube subscribers or like wish list counts and stuff like that. Uh and it was very discouraging to put all this work into something and then only get, you know, like 5 5 people or whatever. Uh so I started focusing specifically just on my output, specifically just on the things I could control and uh between the routine and the just focusing on my my work output every day and saying i did a good day because i spent this amount of hours doing doing work it really helped me kind of get a handle on that and that paired with like the the anger and the passion that i felt because i was upset that i couldn't finish stuff um tremendously helped me kind of get a handle on on getting the work done so hopefully that was helpful yep
1: awesome Thanks for all that, Tim. Lovely hanging out with you as always.
0: Same to you, Rick. I love hanging out with you.
1: Yes. And with all of our wonderful uh, folks in the audience today, thank you for your questions, your input, uh, your ideas, your gifts of certain, I was going to say felines, that's the wrong thing, canines, certain canines dragging their butts on the ground. We appreciate them all.
0: Thank y'all for coming. I appreciate y'all being here. We'll be back next week, uh, Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern to uh, to talk about something cool. We don't have a topic yet, but it'll be revealed during the week. And like I said, we've got our workshop on the weekend if you want to come hang out with us live on video in a live event format where we can go over indie game marketing and stuff. So I'll see y'all later. See you later, guys. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. You
1: can find all courses at GameDev.tv or in the show notes at a discounted price. Get started with the game development journey today.